I'm Jan Gibbons. And I'm Bob Gibbons. And thanks for joining us for another episode of the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast. The show is brought to you by Riata Commercial Realty, where your office is our only business. Ain't nobody got time to think about office space. especially Well, especially right now. But if you need space and or it's time to renew your current lease, why should you use a tenant rep? In today's episode, we will address these questions and I'm sure plenty more. Okay, Bob, why should someone use a tenant rep? And tell us exactly what does a tenant rep do? All right, well, let's let's first of all start with a little story from my childhood. Uh-oh. <laughs> Time to take a nap. So I remember when I was a kid, and we would just all meet up to play basketball. And on the basketball court, it was hard to tell who was on whose team. And so what we'd always do is, of course, shirts and skins. So half the guys would take their shirts off and they were the skins and the other ones would leave their shirts on. So it made it easy to tell who was who. You could tell who was on whose team. And tenant reps help with that situation. They help. You're make... taking your shirt off <laughs> at work? <laughs> yeah, only, okay. only if they pay extra. <laughs> Hardly. But there are two different teams and we're on the team of the tenant and the leasing agents on the team of the landlord. And if there's not a clear delineation that can create some conflicts. Okay. Meaning there might be a conflict of interest. If I just walk up to a building and say, I want to see this space, I'm actually working with the landlord's representative. That's exactly right. So let me, let me put it this way. So if, if somebody came to you and said, Hey Jan, I'm going to sue you, but you know what? Let's split an attorney just so we can both save money. Uh, sounds ludicrous, right? But if somebody goes and calls a, a sign that has a, you know, a leasing sign in front of an office building and thinks that that leasing agent is going to also represent them as well as the landlord, they're kidding themselves. That's not, possible and it doesn't happen. <clears throat> Those leasing agents are legally bound and ethically bound to the landlord and the landlord's best interests. And that's what they should be doing. And we do the same thing for our clients. So we are on the team with the, the with the tenant, the user of the space, whether they're a tenant or a buyer, and we represent them only. So the leasing agent, the person whose name is on that sign, their job is to get the best deal possible from the landlord with the highest rents possible at the lowest cost. Whereas ours, our responsibilities and our fiduciary is to the tenant. And so, of course, we're trying to get the best deal for the tenant. So those two teams, the leasing agent and the tenant rep, have diametrically opposed ideas. And, and how they come together in a contract is sort of where the deal gets made, ultimately. Okay, so you kind of touched on this. But exactly how do you know who represents whom in any given transaction? Well, the only way to know that is for somebody to you know, formally state that and not just state that verbally, but state it in writing. 
So in Texas, for example, where we have most of our business, there's something called the Information About Brokerage Services form, and the IABS, we, we call it for short. So the IABS is a form that the Texas Real Estate Commission requires that every licensed real estate practitioner give to anybody that they speak with about real estate services, uh, whether they're representing that person or not. So if you call, if somebody who's not licensed calls a leasing sign in front of a building, says, hey, I'm interested in buying that building, I'm interested in leasing that building, that leasing agent is supposed to give a copy of that IABS form to that person so that they know, hey, I don't represent you, I represent the landlord. Just like if I have a conversation with a prospective client, uh, a tenant, a, a buyer, I'm going to give them that form too. And I'm going to say, hey, this thing shows how how brokers can represent clients in the state of Texas. I don't represent landlords. I only represent the tenant slash buyer. And so we're basically putting them on notice as to who's on whose team. Okay, that makes sense. But as long as it, everyone's transparent, couldn't a broker represent both parties to a lease or, or a sale? No, uh, they cannot represent both parties. And that's the key term. Represent has the connotation and the implication that you're actually working on behalf of. And the if, F word, fiduciary. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, if somebody's on both sides of a transaction, uh, they are going to um, facilitate the transaction, but they cannot represent both sides. Because let's just give an example. If I'm negotiating a lease in an office building and my client is willing to pay $30 a square foot for the for the rent and the asking rent's $35 a square foot and I go to the landlord and say, hey, they're willing to only pay $30 a square foot, but I bet you you can get them up to 33 Well, I've just hurt the tenant. Just like if I go to the tenant and say, hey, the landlord's willing, you know, they're quoting 35 but I know they'll take 32 because they did it on the last deal. Well, I've just hurt the landlord. So I can't actually represent both sides in a deal. So you can be in what we call an intermediary status, and uh, that used to be called dual representation, but they actually got rid of the word, the, the term dual representation, because again, the word representation is an oxymoron in that situation. You can't represent both parties, no more than the attorney can represent both parties in a lawsuit against each other. So um, intermediary study, status is a way that a broker can be involved in the transaction and, but it's a bad idea. I think it's actually better in a situation like that where a tenant calls on a leasing sign for the leasing agent to say, look, I just want you to know, I represent the landlord. Here's your IABS form. You're welcome to go get your own agent if you want. But if you'd rather just work on your own behalf, that's cool. But just understand I'm, I'm not representing you. I'm representing the landlord. There's no requirement for the tenant to, to have representation legally. But uh, but that leasing agent can't then become an intermediary without both parties to the transaction agreeing to that in writing. Okay, so there's lots of deals out there to be had. Can't the agent work exclusively on one deal for the tenant and then exclusively on another deal for the landlord? Sure. I mean, there's no legal prohibition against people doing that. You know, I can represent a tenant on one deal, a buyer on another deal, a, a, the landlord on a lease on another deal, and a seller on a third, on a fourth deal. All of that is perfectly legal. However, I think it creates potential for conflicts of interest. 
And what I mean by that is, for example, if I'm out there listing buildings for lease, and then I have a client who wants to lease buildings in that same area, and I go take them on a tour and show them five buildings, and three of those buildings happen to be my listings. Well, now I'm going to get all the commission on three of the buildings and only a part of the commission on two of those buildings. Can that prospective tenant trust my advice? I don't think they should. And so, and in those in, in those three situations, then you have to go through the whole rigmarole of becoming an intermediary status. And it's just, I think it sets people up for a bad idea. So, you know, my feeling is that a commercial real estate company or even a residential real estate company for that matter should pick a side. They should say, we are only going to represent tenants or we're only going to represent landlords because otherwise you create, you know, conflict of interest situations potentially. And I, I think that's bad for whatever party you're trying to represent. Okay. So does a conflict of interest occur only if a broker tries to represent both sides of the same transaction? Uh, no, you can actually create a conflict of interest situation if you only represent one side of the transaction. Uh, I'll give you an example of that. A couple of years ago, we had a client who was in a building and they were interested in potentially moving out of that building and into you know, one of a number of other buildings. And so I started contacting the leasing agents for some of those other buildings. And one of those other buildings was also represented by the same leasing agent as their current building. So now they're in, a, in one building with one leasing agent, and they are interested in a second building with a different owner, but the same leasing agent. So now the leasing agent says, I'm sorry, I can't show you that building. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, if I take them out of, if I let them leave this building and put them into another one of my listed buildings, the landlord for that first building is going to be really mad at me. I'm like, well, yeah, but if you don't show me that other building, they're going to move out of your first building and you're going to lose them in both tenants. And now you got two landlords that are mad at you. Shouldn't you just disclose this to everybody? And, and so that was a situation where because of the number of listings he had in the area, uh, in the immediate area, he ended up with a conflict of interest problem and he wasn't willing to go tell both landlords about it so that they could equally compete on it or assign somebody else to handle it. And so both of those landlords lost out. So when transparency is not uppermost, there's usually a conflict of interest. Oh, man, yeah. If, if somebody's not willing to disclose something, mm-hmm. you got to have huge red flags going off. So what does a company have to do to make sure a broker is working exclusively for them? How do they engage them? Well, in, in the state of Texas, and I suspect it's probably the same in most other states, you have to have a signed, a written signed representation agreement. So when we engage with a client or a client engages us, we have a representation agreement. It basically says, these are the services we're going to provide you, and you authorize us to represent you. It does not authorize us to sign a lease on their behalf or to sign a contract to purchase a building on their behalf. Only they can do that. But it gives me the authority to go out there and find the options, negotiate on their behalf, and to represent them exclusively, regardless of who's paying the commission. Okay, but doesn't the landlord's representative know their building better than a tenant rep would? I sure hope so. If they don't, there's a big problem. <laughs> and and actually, it's going to sound weird, but I've actually been in situations where I did know more about the building than the, ten, than the uh, landlord's leasing agent because I used to be on the landlord's side for 20 years. And so I understand how buildings work, how their systems operate, how the budgets are created. 
you know, I've been the property manager, the leasing agent, the, the asset manager. So, and in some cases I've shown buildings that used to be my buildings when I was on the landlord side. So in some cases, yeah, I, I have known more about a building. That's not usually the case, of course, um, and it shouldn't be the case. But what I do know is I know the process and I know how things are supposed to work in general in the industry. And so if one landlord is trying to do something differently than all the other landlords, then I'm going to call them out on that. And I'm going to try and level the playing field for the user client, the buyer tenant. And uh, and so knowledge is power. And whoever has the most knowledge in a particular uh, negotiation typically has the, the upper hand. And so because tenants typically only sign a lease once every five years or so, um, and landlords do it every day. I mean, that's their main business. They're doing it hundreds of times a year. So you're just, you're outgunned, if you will, if you don't have somebody who really knows what they're doing on your side. And so, yeah, while the leasing agent on an individual building may know more about that one building, they don't know more about the needs and goals and objectives of the tenant. They don't know necessarily any more than the tenant rep on the process and how to compare all the other buildings. Okay, so you've talked about why it's important for companies to use brokers who exclusively represent tenants and buyers, but shouldn't companies use more than one tenant rep to be sure they don't miss something in the market? You know, that's a good question, and and a lot of people um, don't ask that question. Some people do, and uh, so the, the simple answer is that tenants should not use more than one tenant rep. They should pick one horse and ride it. And and there's a variety of reasons for that. The first and most important reason is because we all in the commercial real estate business pretty much use the same database. It's called CoStar. It's a very expensive database that we all subscribe to. All the landlords put their listings on it. All the leasing agents do. Anybody that's going to sell a building, most of the time are going to put that on there. And and so all the tenant reps also use that database. So it's kind of like the MLS for houses. It's our MLS for commercial. And so we're all pulling from the same database for information. So if a, if a tenant says, well, I'm going to use three different tenant reps just to make sure I don't miss something in the market – well, they're going to go out and they're going to say, all right, hey, here's to each of these tenant reps. This is my criteria. And you would assume they're going to give the same criteria to each one of these people. So if they give all three of those people the same criteria, they're all going to go to the market and look for the same information, whether they drive around or just go to CoStar or both. They're probably going to come back to the tenant and give them the same options, which means you've just as a tenant, had to sit through three presentations to see the same buildings. And it's a colossal waste of your time. Well, and also as you start to negotiate, if you don't have an exclusive signed rep agreement, will the landlord pay as much attention to you? He won't think you have control over your client. That's actually a great a great point because if the landlord sees the same deal from multiple tenant reps, they're going to think something's fishy and something's not right. And they, they may say, look, I'm not, I'm not going to negotiate any further or discuss anything further on this particular tenant until that tenant picks somebody that they're really working with and can move on. So yeah, in that situation, they, uh, they should use only one for credibility purposes. The other reason is because, <clears throat> you know, tenant reps only get paid when the deal happens, if the deal happens. And so they speculate their time. And so they have to spend a lot of time. My average deal takes about six months from the time we actually start it until we get the lease signed. Sometimes it takes a lot longer. The longest it's ever taken me to close a deal was three years. And that's 
an unreasonably amount, long amount of time. That was a purchase where the the buyer already owned the building, so they didn't have the lease expiration date um, that was you know forcing them to do something by a certain date. So um, it takes a long time for us to do the deals. We have to spend a great deal of uh, effort and and money to get all this stuff done. So if we don't get an exclusive, then our assumption is that the tenant's not real, not real, isn't really going to do a deal. And and we probably don't have a reasonable chance that we're actually going to be able to make any money on the deal and feed our families and pay our expenses of our business. So we're probably not going to work that hard. You know, if, if something comes across our desk and yeah, we think that may fit and we might shoot it over and say, hey, what about this? But we're not going to really get in there and dig in. And, uh, you know, I was doing a, a, a search earlier today for a client I think I contacted uh, about 125 agents, listing agents, leasing agents, looking for one space for one client. And I got back already so far probably about 30 responses with options. So I've got to filter through all those options, figure out which one makes sense, which ones I'm going to present back to the tenant that best fits their goals and objectives. You know, that's a lot of time, a lot of work. So, you know, most of the time, if you're not going to give somebody an exclusive, you're not going to get somebody that's really worthwhile and knows what they're doing. It seems like there is a lot of specialization within commercial real estate. Why is that? Well, the simplest answer is that clients expect it and deserve it. Uh, so, you know, if you were going to, um, again, let's let's go back to the the law, the legal analogy. So if you're trying to find an attorney to help you with an environmental contamination case, are you going to want somebody who's just a general attorney who does everything from divorces and wills to, uh, you know, environmental? I mean, that's probably not going to be somebody who has very much depth in that subject matter. You're going to want a highly specialized environmental litigator uh, to represent you. And, uh, And so it's the same thing in commercial real estate. You know, Somebody's not going to hire me to buy or sell a uh, hotel, probably, because I'm not an expert in that. I don't do land. I don't do retail. Um, you know, I don't do restaurants. Those are not my specialty. I don't represent landlords anymore. Um, I did that a long time ago, but I don't do that anymore. So, yeah, could I argue I'm an expert at representing landlords? Yeah, I mean, I had 20 years at that, but I haven't done it in 16 years either. So I'm. Strict- While we're on the topic, what are you a specialist at? <laughs> You're still waiting what, to find what out. What is Riata's sweet spot? Well, I mean, our sweet spot is we represent owner-managed companies in their real estate decisions and nonprofits. So any nonprofit or company that's still managed by the owner of the company, that's our ideal client. And they occupy office buildings in Dallas County and Collin County or North Ten- North uh, North Texas region. So that would include Fort Worth and Arlington, those kind of areas. So that's what we're experts on. That's what we really want to help people with. Can we help them with other things? Sure. But, you know, there are probably specialists that do those things. And so a lot of times when we get those referrals, or we get those opportunities, I should say, we refer them out to someone else who is the expert on that. I did it this morning. Did you really? Yeah. I didn't even know about that. Yeah. It, it, it was completely outside our wheelhouse. I had a referral partner that it was completely in her wheelhouse. I made the introduction and both parties thanked me. Move on down the road. They're better served and I can focus on what we do well. Yeah. And, and it makes us more efficient. Absolutely. Okay. So now we've hired you. How does the tenant interact with the landlord 
once they've signed that rep agreement. Never speak to them again. That makes it easy. <laughs> well, I mean, it, this usually is more of an issue when the tenant is already a, um, a tenant of the building. So if the tenant is already in the building, we're negotiating with that landlord, it's kind of hard for that tenant to say, hey, I'm not going to talk to the landlord because, you know, they're already a tenant in the building, right? But usually they're talking to the property manager and the property manager is not the one engaging in the discussion of a lease extension or expansion. Personally, if I was the tenant, I would love it because I'm calling you up every day saying, come change the light bulb. Hey, the AC's not working well. Do this, do that. I have to do that management of the everyday kind of thing. So when it comes to negotiating the renewal terms, I'm like, call Bob. I don't want to even deal right. with you. So I think the separation of church and state in that case would be wonderful. Well, and the biggest reason for that, of course, is the tenant, again, is they're busy. They're experts on their business. They got things, they have things to do. They've asked me to be their expert, their knowledge uh, person for this transaction. So if they're talking a little bit to the landlord and I'm talking to the landlord and you know, a three-way communication there, it can mess things up. And I, I've had this problem before. I had a tenant once long ago who's no longer a client. Um, they couldn't help themselves. They Every other day, they were walking down. And the, the other problem was the leasing agent officed in the same building. So the tenant would go down the elevator, go to lunch, and they see they just walk into the, the landlord's leasing agent office. And they just start chatting things up. And I wouldn't know anything about it. And and that's just a terrible way to try and negotiate things. And then I'm talking to the leasing agent. And, of course, the leasing agent loves it because now he or she gets to play us off each other. And so uh, if you're going to hire somebody to represent you, let them represent you. Do not continue talking to the landlord. If the landlord calls you, the leasing agent calls you, just say, hey, thanks for the call. I'm not the one you need to be talking to. Call whatever tenant rep you're working with. Okay. All this sounds great and wonderful. But what does it cost to hire a tenant rep? Well, I'm glad you asked. That depends on where you are. So if you're in the United Kingdom, for example, in London, I have a buddy in, uh, who's a tenant rep in London. And uh, in London, the tenant actually pays their own representative. Each, We're not in London. Well, I'm ready to go back. I love <laughs> London. But not work there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I might be willing to. Anyway, in London, they each party pays their own. So the landlord pays their rep. The tenant pays their rep directly. Where, but in the U.S., the landlord typically pays, they write the check. I'll put it that way. A lot of my competitors will say, I'm a free resource to you, tenant. Well, not really. I mean, we're getting paid. Let's not kid ourselves. We're not doing this for free. It's not a charity. So we get paid and we are paid by the landlord. They write the check, whether it's uh, a landlord writing us a check for a commission on a lease or the seller writing us a check for a commission on the uh, sale, we're getting paid, but it's built into the rental rate. It's built into the purchase price. So I view it more as the tenant's paying for it. They're just paying for it over time in their lease rates or in the purchase price of a, of a building purchase. And so if they don't use somebody like us, it's kind of like they're paying for it and not getting the benefit of it. Okay. Well, say the landlord tries to cut us out and offer to pay the tenant a fee for not using us. Then what? I've actually had that happen. No. Um, <laughs> shocking, right? Do tell. Uh, well, I mean, there was a client. Uh, not a, Actually, this person was not a client, but it was somebody I had been talking to trying to get her to become a client. And so I went into her office one day, and she pulls out a proposal she had already gotten from the landlord. And in the proposal, it says... We will pay you 
the fee that we would have otherwise paid to your tenant rep if you don't use the tenant rep. She goes, so why should I use it? Use you. I'm going to get paid all this money if I don't use you. And I was like, yeah. And you know what? You're welcome to do that. And I've actually told people who have told me, I'm not going to use you, Bob. I've told them, fine, then go tell the landlord. They got to pay you the, the commission that they would have otherwise paid me. Really? Is that possible? Like, of course it's possible. I said, but the problem is, how do you know when you have a good deal? You're not the expert in real estate. You don't have the database. You don't have the information. So how are you going to know? And in this case of the the first person I was just mentioning, she showed me that proposal. And I said, yeah, but look at the rental rate they've offered you. And this was several years ago. So the rental rate at that time that was being offered to her was $24.50 a square foot. And I said, that's too high. If they can get you to pay $24.50 and pay you the commission that they would otherwise pay me, that's a home run for them. And I said, let me represent you. I'll take you not only I'll not only represent you on this building, but on all the other buildings in the area. I promise you we'll get you a better deal. So we ended up getting an offer from that same landlord for 23 bucks, and they were still happy to pay me. But we went right across the parking lot to another building built by the same developer. He didn't own the first building anymore, but he built the second building, nicer building, and we got a deal at 2130. And they were, of course, more than happy to pay me. And she's still a client today. And she is still a client today. And uh, so, you know, that was just an obvious situation where the landlord was trying to um, sort of what I call slam the deal fast before a, a tenant rep could get in the way. And you know what? When I was a landlord, when I was an asset manager, I did the same thing. Because guess what? My job at that time was to get the best deal for the landlord. That's why we call it confessions of a recovering <laughs> landlord. Okay. So while you're still on that same topic, tell us some of the issues that tenant reps negotiate in addition to the rental rate. Obviously we, you know, $20 a square foot all in, blah, blah, right. blah. Well, what else is there to negotiate at least price-wise? Oh man. Well, I'm, now that you threw in price-wise, I mean, when it comes to dollars and cents, the obvious things are the rent, uh, free rent, operating expenses, uh, for example, are you going to get a, a cap on expenses where, you know, the expenses go up over time usually. So are you going to put a, a limitation on that increase? Uh, we always try to get that. And uh, and then there's a lot, there's other things, but there's a lot of things that are not uh, associated with a dollar sign. So options, an option to renew, an option to terminate, an option, to, uh, a death and disability option. You know, if you have, we've talked about this on the podcast before, I think, where if you have one major rainmaker, the, probably the owner of the business, and let's say he or she gets hit by a bus and is permanently disabled or, God forbid, dead, maybe they they have an option to terminate the lease. The, the, the estate does. So, I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, even things like uh, just timing, construction, who's going to pay for the construction? When is the construction going to be done? Um, what happens if the construction goes over the expected amount of time? Do you have to go ahead and start paying rent anyway on the anticipated commencement date? I mean, there's a, a thousand things. These leases are 30 to 80 pages long usually. So there's a ton of stuff involved in negotiating it. And that's why we also get attorneys involved to help negotiate this. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that we negotiate far beyond the, the rental rate. Okay. So how does someone go about picking the right tenant rep for them? Well, we've alluded to it before, and, and the first thing I would say is specialization. You know, don't hire a land person to uh, negotiate a lease in an office building. Uh, don't hire a, an office building tenant rep to do a land deal. 
So specialization, make sure the person you're trying to hire is specialized. Uh, Make sure they have the right reputation, that they have a good reputation, they know what they're doing, uh, that they have a track record. Uh, Make sure that they have the bandwidth. You know, just because somebody says, yeah, that's what I do and I'm the expert at that doesn't mean that they have the time to deal with it. Make, you know, ask that question. Do you have time to handle this? Um, and then another I, uh, thing I, I mentioned is the size. And, and when I say size, I mean, you know, if, if you're a, a, a 15 or 20,000 square foot tenant or less, and you go to one of the giant companies in, the, in, the, in, in our commercial real estate space, you're just sort of a, yeah, whatever, you know, you're just sort of an average Joe. But you take a fifteen or twenty thousand square foot lease to an independent like Riata, like us, you know that's a great deal for us because we don't have to spend uh, split that deal fifty ways from Sunday, and it's going to make a big difference to us. And so we're going to be able to put a lot more time into it, a lot more effort into it, and we're going to do a great job for that tenant because it means a lot to us. Same thing whenever uh, somebody has multiple locations uh, throughout the state or throughout the country. A lot of times we have a, we see situations where one of the big companies will have sort of the quarterback in the home office next door to the headquarters of the client, and they're sort of the the liaison, the relationship manager, if you will. But whenever they have the the work to be done in Tucson and Seattle and Denver and you know wherever else, Indianapolis, that person is then coordinating with somebody in their office in that location who's probably a junior broker, somebody not as experienced. Uh, and so, you know, they're probably not getting as good a deal, as good a quality of person there. Whereas in our situation, again, we're going to somebody like ourselves who's an independent person who has a lot of experience to be our partner in that other market if we need somebody as a partner in that other market. If we're not you know, experts in that market don't know it really well. So overall, I'd say, you know, size matters, but not in the way you think. The bigger the company, the less it's probably in the client's best interest to use them, unless it's just a huge, huge, huge company like, you know, somebody that has 500 locations around the world. All right, going with one of the big boys may make sense in that situation, but most times I would say that's not the case. So don't most people pick their tenant rep based on who they know, like from college or buddies at the country club? Absolutely. And it's it's a bad idea uh, because they're making a business decision based on a personal relationship with someone that may or may not be the right person. So all the things that we just talked about on the last question about specialization and reputation and track record and size and all those things are kind of out the window. And they're just using somebody based on uh, you know who they went to college with or or who they go to church with or whatever, and uh, and I, I've seen this happen many times and it's it's just it's not a good idea and it's not a very defensible idea. Where we don't see this, we don't see this in really large companies. Uh, really large companies, while they might put somebody on the bid list based on a personal relationship, they don't actually award it to somebody based on that. It's actually based on a lot of other things, merit and and other things. But um, with smaller companies where the owner of the company is making the decision, uh, too often it is made based on these uh, personal things instead of on uh, really what's in their best interest. I've heard some people say that they don't want to hire a tenant rep because they have such a good relationship with their landlord. Is that a good idea? Definitely not. And you know, I, I don't see that a lot, but I have seen it several times, <clears throat> and I have never once in, in 36 years seen a situation in which 
a personal relationship with the landlord actually being something that got a tenant a better deal. Uh, in fact, there's been a couple of times where I just finished a lease in a building and a tenant, another tenant in that same building has, has told me, well, I got a great relationship with the, the, the landlord, so I didn't use a tenant rep. And so we've compared notes, looked at, hey, how much are you paying in rent? What kind of a, a amount of money did you get for improvements, et cetera? And, and while the landlord didn't take advantage of them terribly, they certainly didn't get the, um, the inside great deal that they thought they were getting. So once you negotiate the lease, do your services end at that time? Um, well, not with Riata, they don't. I mean, with a lot of companies, um, a lot of agents, it does. In fact, uh, I remember a story back when I was an asset manager, we did a deal with a tenant. And one year later, we expanded that same tenant, but with a different tenant rep broker. And I asked the tenant rep broker at the time, I was like, Steve, man, what happened to the other guy? Why, why isn't he doing this? He just put him in this building a year ago. He said, he just didn't pay attention. He didn't stay in touch with them. He didn't go to their grand opening party, housewarming, whatever you want to call it. He just kind of like dropped off the face of the earth almost. And so that's what a lot of people do. They collect their check for their commission, and then they just kind of vanish for a while. And unless the tenant tracks them down, they never hear from them again until five years later. Guess what? It's time to collect another commission if they can keep them as a client. Well, because of my landlord experience, um, we created something called the Riata Lease Track System. And so the Lease Track System is a way in which we help clients manage their lease throughout the lease term. And there's a whole lot of things that go into that. It's a free program that we provide for them. And in fact, Jan, you are the one who uh, provides a lot of those services. So tell us a little bit more detail about what that is. Well, the first thing I do is take the lease and put it into what we call a lease brief. Because leases can run anywhere from 30 to 90 pages, and no one wants to sit down and read through that to get critical points. So I make a one-page summary of everything, just hitting the highlights, the expiration, the inception, the commencement, who the landlord is, who the tenant is, what the rent schedule will be when they have rent bumps, what their operating expenses are, just kind of the highlights of everything they need to know. And then I send it out to them and I tell them that they'll be hearing from me on a quarterly basis. And I tell them anything that will be coming up in their lease, hey, you've got an option you need to exercise or you need to talk about, or you'll have a rent bump starting September 1st. And uh, you know, my experience is that you send them that lease brief. And of course, you send them an electronic copy of the actual lease. But when they have a question, they don't ever pull those out and look at them, do they? What do they do? They call me. <laughs> exactly. Or, they, or they'll take that. They've actually had them take the very uh, lease brief email I sent out and they'll send it back and go, what about this? I'm like, right here, it says that, which is fine. That's exactly what we want. I want them to call me anyway. But um, it is good because sometimes they will write me back and they go, I had a lease brief and I can't put my hand on it. I'm like, I can. Here it is. Thanks. And then I'll want to know, is there anything I need to help you with? Are you looking at an expiration date? What is it that caused you to do it? Sometimes it's because they're having to sign an estoppel for the landlord. And I always ask them, if you get that, I would like to look it over before you sign it, just to make sure everything's accurate. There might be something you forgot in it. So we just like to be on call because so much, especially, I mean, look at it now with COVID, so much can happen in five years. Mm-hmm. I want to have walked through with them because sometimes, hopefully, most of our clients are growing. I need more space. I need to reconfigure until I can expand. I mean, we have 
within our network furniture dealers that can come in and help reconfigure a space if you can't expand at that time or it's not what's economically the, feasible. What's the, the saying that I like to say about furniture? Never solve a, a, a furniture problem with real estate. Right. Meaning don't lease more space than exactly. you have when you can just rearrange the furniture and accomplish your goal. Exactly. Or sometimes you do need more space or you need a different space or you need to reload in a different part of town and then you need to sublease your original space, whatever it is. Uh, I'll even have people call and say, hey, I mean, this happened a couple of years ago. As we both remember, I hear rents are going up just crazy. My neighbor renewed and they had to pay $5 more a square foot. Can you find out what they're looking at when I renew in six months? And I'm happy to do that. I don't have a crystal ball, but I've got something really good intuition. (laughs) But we go out and we do our market research. And we let them know, hey, comps are showing this is what it's going to be. If you want to kind of look around in the area to get, you know, see if there's anything else. It's just keeping our finger on their pulse. And sometimes it's things like, hey, I'm thinking about opening up a new office in another market or another area. You know, let's talk about that. What does it Mm -hmm. look like? Or, you know, maybe it's, um, you know, they're, like you said, an estoppel or, you know, the landlord's having to... um, refinance the building or sometimes the landlord has a right to relocate the tenant on their own without the tenant's consent. I mean, that's just a right the landlord has in the, in the lease. So we help advise them in that. And, and, you know, we don't get paid for any of that stuff, but it's part of the relationship that we have over a long period of time. And so that's just part of what we want to do. A lot of, uh, a lot of commercial real estate companies have what they call a lease administration department that charges for a lot of these services. Uh, but we just feel like it's uh, something that we ought to be doing and we are happy to do it to uh, have an ongoing relationship with the client and continue well, to prove up our worth. Because that's how Riata was built and what it thrives on is relations and it's a relational agency. A lot of commercial real estate brokers are transaction-based and that may work for them. I'm not going to denigrate that. I'm just saying that's not how we want to operate. We really enjoy working with our clients and watching them grow and servicing their needs throughout the term of their business. Well, thanks again for joining us for this episode of Confessions of a Recovering Landlord. And uh, at Riata Commercial Realty, we're exclusively serving companies that lease or purchase office space. We never represent landlords. And you can find us at texastenantrep.com or call us at 972-667-0028. Again, that's texastenantrep.com or 972-667-0028. See you next time. Bye.